Merry Christmas to everybody. This is Mike McDonald with PNH Expanded. Thank you for tuning into my podcast, giving it a try, or coming back again after a month or so away from podcasting writing. I hope that you like the blog. I know it was long. Of course, any writer, when they've been away for a while, has too much to say. And at halftime, my notes were mostly empty. I was a little confused, actually. Confused because we were playing rather well, and it was a performance I didn't really recognise, and I was confused as to what it was I was looking at and what the problems were and didn't know where my writing and podcasting was going to go. Anyway, all changed. I saw much to like, uh, but more importantly, as Max said to me at half-time, don't care, Dad, just got to win. Got to win. It's one of those... I always talk about the sliding doors moment, but if... If we lose, which we were, then what is it? Newcastle would have been just a handful of points behind us. That's just a very strange thought. And probably for everybody watching the Premier League, that Newcastle would have been a few points off top. And now we're, I think it's seven points clear of them and eight of Manchester City um, before they play on Monday or Tuesday. I don't even know what day of the week it is. Christmas, it doesn't seem to matter, does it? Anyway, I digress. Um, Back to sliding doors thoughts. I just really struggled thinking about how that game changed. What was the moment when the game changed? Which is really what I try to capture. And I suppose, in amongst all of the intentionality and really fluid Arsenal play, from beginning to finish, honestly, I think it was luck that changed it. I think that was the moment. I think it was Odegaard's uh, shank shot, shank shot thing that went straight to Saka's feet. And something that I did like, which wasn't luck, they say, whoever they are, but they say that when you are uh, watching a colleague shoot, you should always keep your feet moving. Not sure if you've heard that one before or not, but keep your feet moving because if your feet are already moving then it's going to be a split second as to whether the goalkeeper pounces on a rebound or a defender or you preferably Um, or in Saka's case you keep your feet moving so if the shot is shanked then you can anticipate and if it comes to your feet directly like that one did then there you are and what looks like a god-awful shot is now a genius Odegaard slide brawl no-look pass because you stayed alive. So, in all seriousness, that, interestingly, was, I thought, the sliding doors moment. And I, I, again, I remember talking to my son about how this game was going to crack open and it looked like it was going to be a spark of inspiration from somebody um, that was just going to take it on themselves. Or as I said to him, West Ham at that point hadn't really made a mistake. Not a mistake that had gifted us an opportunity. And I said, you know, could could come that way. You know, we always look at our team and think about what we, sh- you know, have to do. 
and rightly so that's what we can control we think we can but um anyway and so it came from a spot of luck who would have thunk it right okay i've got a couple of positives didn't want to bring out anything negative so much just had a couple of things i wanted to say the first one was actually after the game and you may have heard me say this before but the coverage uh in the u.s is uh it's not perfect it's not exactly what i would want if i was running a network i have all my ideas about having a coach uh every time you show a football match uh to explain and break down the tactical sides and what's happening and why this is happening i think that would be just wonderful and i think the um addiction to ex-players is uh is hurting the industry in that regard but the coverage is better than it is in england and i've seen both uh england really has an addiction to ex-pros and as you know as famous as you can possibly get whereas what we have now with uh peacock uh formerly nbc and now yeah usa network and it changes every season but whatever um we have uh, what they call the two Robbies, Robbie Musto and Robbie Earl, players from the 80s and 90s that you'll remember, mostly the 90s. And they weren't top players, but they're a whole lot better at punditry than anything that uh, you guys in England have. Um, and they're good. They really are good. Tim Howard is um, is often there too. He's okay. The other two are really good, actually. And the host is very good as well, Rebecca Lowe. And so they were interviewing Bucky Osaka, they actually interviewed Matt Turner, Arteta, Saka, Declan Rice. And so credit to the coverage. And whilst I'm talking about the coverage, I don't want to ramble unnecessarily, but this is interesting too if you've never heard me or, or anybody over here in the States say that uh, they show every game, every single one, all season long. I think I'm right in saying that. Of course, I don't look for every single game, but... I think I'm right. Every single Premier League game, whichever day of the week, is shown in America on these networks. It's very impressive. And so, as much as I miss the experience of not being able to go to the Emirates or go to the pub in England, I can't really complain considering I'm thousands of miles away and there are thousands of people who support Arsenal and support Premier League teams who have this coverage. Um... Anyway, back to Bucky Osaka. He said something really interesting. He, uh, of course, comes across as a nice chap, and so you sort of tune out when he's being interviewed because he's just going to say nice things, nothing very interesting, right? So you're just going to come away with the same conclusion as ever, which is what a nice guy this guy is. Very polite, um, cautious in what he says, and well-trained in the art of uh, media. Um, but he said... Uh, when he was asked by Rebecca Lowe what the difference was this season, he said that the team now has a real hatred of losing. Uh, in fact, his words were, it hurts more when we lose. And I don't know if that's just off the back of the last year, two years, experience of losing more, or just something that's organically grown in them, or something that's been promoted to them, I would best guess at a culture that is set 
not just through words, coaching staff words, but an everyday training session um, culture. You see those pictures online, don't you, of the winning five-a-side team, and you only ever see that. You don't get to see the other teams that lose the five-a-side, but you know, ha- having been a coach so many years, I know the benefits of making practice enjoyable, which you want to do, but also making it painful. Painful uh, because they say if you can work harder in practice, then it'll come automatically in the game. But painful so you understand what pain feels like. Because sometimes, you know, during the week, you forget the pain of last Sunday and you go out there and you've got a fresh mind, clean slate. But honestly, a lot of coaches don't want that. They want the players to go on the field with some of that pain fresh in their mind. And if the culture is every drill, every game, every five aside, every 11 aside, a practice is competitive to the point where there's pain if you don't win, then the players go on the field with that. That's what I bet's going on. But that, any time a player or a coach says something interesting in an interview, you have to bring it up, don't you? Because so rare, and I'm not sure that he even meant to say it. Um, it's not really revealing much, but it's dead interesting, I think. It hurts to lose now. hurts more to lose now. And so that ca- encapsulates, you could say, every action and why they look so hungry, this Arsenal team. You know, both with and without the ball. They hate losing. And that really is something that all elite athletes and teams have in them. Such a hatred of losing. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to uh, compliment Arsenal on is the energy, the constant energy. Um, I'm trying to think of an analogy of what I, what I see when Arsenal lose the ball. The. I was, I was first when football changed. You know. And when it, I saw two two to four players chasing, covering, smothering the guy with the ball, the tactician and me got really concerned because Arsenal weren't at the level they are now. And so often, if you teach that first and you don't have a defensive structure around that, then you can be bypassed by one pass and three or four players are now out of the game. And it made me a bit nervous but now we have a structure. I'll tell you what it does. You either win the ball back straight away, again, within three to five seconds, or you deny the pass that they want to make. And it was obvious, I thought, in the first, was it first 20 minutes of the first half, when the ball was, the exit route for West Ham was to Jared Bowen, and to be fair to him, he was causing Tierney a few problems out there. Uh... But then, after about half an hour, Jared Bowen could have gone to the beach, right? 
he was anonymous the entire rest of the game. And so when we started to pounce and get our body shapes right and and started to force them to the left, they wanted to go to the right, that wasn't the exit route they wanted to take. And so what it does when you when you press like that, even though you might not win the ball, you've now stopped two things. You've stopped them exiting the way they want to exit. You've made them look up when their automatisms and their instruction from their coach tells them that they should look go this way. Now they're wondering what's over on the other side and they don't have much time to decide. And also, well, thirdly, their head can go down. Because when you think you're about to lose the ball, you go into protection mode as a footballer and your head can go down you want to protect the ball, you want to shield it, you want to make yourself big, your head is, your chin's dipped, and now you focus on just solely keeping possession of the ball. And then you get your pocket picked. So that's just interesting to me, and there's so much of that going on at Arsenal these days, and it's well structured, and it's a huge positive in every game. Um, okay, so I was teasing in the blog today about uh, an idea that I had for a striker option. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. There's some people listening to this, I know, that when they go to bed at night, even though their head should probably be elsewhere, they start thinking about Arsenal. I feel like Colin Firth. What was the movie? Um, Fever Pitch. That's a great movie, by the way. And there's so many people that can relate to that, so many sports fans that can relate to that, where their head goes when they're supposed to be thinking of something else. Anyway, so I think about how we can improve. I do that way too often. How can we improve tactically? How could our rotation in the next game bring some freshness? How could this signing, that one, and... The last couple of months, because the January transfer window has just sort of felt within reach, the last couple of months I've been thinking about um, who I would like Arsenal to get and who I think we will get. And I came up with a name, uh, sort of stumbled into it. Again, my son Max, he uh, spends a lot of time searching FootMob. If you haven't got FootMob app, ah, oh, that is the best there you go, there's a tip, get FootMob. Um, I think it's a Scandinavian company that cover football better than any other scores, app, information, headlines. Fabulous, um, fabulous. Anyway, and he was checking on Arsenal's loanees, Max was, and he started chirping up about, and, and forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I believe Tuber Akpom scored a hat-trick today. Middlesbrough and he was telling me that he's got something like 11 goals in 12 games or something fairly impressive and he's playing in the championship after years playing in Greece and being very successful there and he's one of the forgotten men Um, he when he was at Arsenal I remember thinking that just his physical profile was as close to perfect as you're ever going to get in what you want out of a striker. Not what he'd produced, he'd just played academy football. So not going over the top, but if you were to go on 
you know, one of these computer games and design a striker. You probably make him six foot one, not too big and gangly, you know, but tall enough. You'd want to make him powerful, muscular, fast, skillful. And if he's a striker, he's got to have the natural ability to put the ball in the net. And at that point in Chubarak Pom's career and against the opponents that he played against, he was eating those things up. And he was that. And I had high hopes for him. And maybe I should have done some research before I started talking about Chubarakpon to know or remember what went wrong. I think it was just much like Reese Nelson, an unfortunate, untimely injury, perhaps. But I remember being pretty gutted when he left Arsenal, thinking he, he's going to be one that is going to come back to bite us. I felt the same way about Christian Bielik. haven't quite been proved right on that one because I really like Christian Bielik. But Chubarakpom, there was something about that guy. But at the same time, you know, you wave goodbye and you wish him good luck and you think maybe in a few years' time, you know, we might get you back. Well, so here's the thing. It's obviously Chubarakpom that I'm talking about and he is currently at Middlesbrough. I don't know if he's on loan. He may well be. But he's playing at a level, obviously, much lower than Arsenal. And this is the thing that interests me about him, is that he's now far more mature, and he has to have some serious hunger somewhere deep down inside to prove himself at the highest level. And, of course, he's played in the Greek Premier League, and he's played Champions League football because of that. And Middlesbrough aren't a bad team. But... The Greek Premier League is probably equivalent to the Championship, so that's about the highest level that he's ever played at. Yet, he's been rather successful his entire career, very quietly, because who's talking about the Greek Premier League, right? Who's talking about the Championship, unless you really support a Championship club? So Tuberakpom has slid under the radar. And I can't say that I've been watching him recently to know. I just want to throw out there that maybe it isn't such a bad idea to consider as a backup option to Eddie whilst Jesus is out so we don't get caught short a guy who loves Arsenal probably supports Arsenal has a fire in his belly to prove to Arsenal fans that he can make it at Arsenal after we let him go and probably broke his heart and a fire which could really spur him on. He's not going to be a player that comes in if we, for example, were to get Vlajevic. I don't think that's going to happen. There's going to cause somebody somewhere to leave the club. And it would probably be Eddie. Not now, but maybe in the summer because he might get bumped down to third choice. And I don't think that he's going to be even remotely interested in that. Because I think it's obvious to everybody that he's good enough to be first choice somewhere. Certainly in the Premier League. Anyway, but if you sign a player who has something to prove, would love to play for your club, supports the club, is a very talented player and is starting to hit a prime, low cost, wouldn't cost too much, so therefore not a huge risk. I mean, there's, there's upside there, right? Um, and you're not really buying a player that's going to elbow Gabriel Jesus out of the way because you really don't want that. 
And I know ideally a loan would be best because Jesus is going to come back and you can go back to having two strikers and not worry about trying to please three. Not sure how I feel about that either. But just wanted to throw that out there. Haven't heard a rumour. Haven't heard anybody talking about it. Just my son telling me that Tuberakpom scored a hat-trick. And every time he tells me about Tuberakpom, it's because he's scoring goals. And then I take a look and he's scoring a lot of goals. And I, he was top scorer in the Greek League, I think, was it last season or the season before? I just think that that's worth considering. I think that's worth considering. Left field right there, right? Um, and last thing I wanted to say about this Madrid deal... I got really excited for the first time when I was writing about it as if it's going to happen. I really think it will because uh, I think Shakhtar are a club that desperately needs money and they've got this gem and he obviously wants Arsenal. So whether it's Newcastle or somebody else trying to get him as well, he is fluttering those eyelashes directly at Arsenal. And if we've bid after months of being interested, months and months, because we nearly got him in the summer, you probably know that then I don't see how this isn't going to happen. But one thing that happened today, and I'll finish on this uh, interesting note, you'll know that Cody Gakpo signed for Liverpool. Well, Mudrick's valuation by his agent was being compared to Anthony, who went to United for, was it 80 million? Grealish, who went to Villa for about 100. But, it's like selling a house, isn't it? The, the comparables in the neighbourhood, you know. And the latest comparable is a left winger called Cody Gakpo, who, for some strange reason, PSV have let him go for thirty-seven million. I think plus twelve is it to come about fifty million. And there's a good argument that Cody Gakpo is a better player, or has had more exposure to high level which he has and certainly exposure at the World Cup as well and succeeded so there's an argument there in negotiations that uh, a quote unquote better player has just signed for a max of 50 million 37 plus 12 and so why would Arsenal agree to pay 65, 70, 80 million for Mudrik both young both talented both play on the left wing. I'm just wondering if that's going to help Arsenal. That's a card that I would bring to the table if I was Edu. Hope you have a great new year. I suppose I'll be back before the new year because we're playing Brighton on Saturday. And I'll be down the pub in Knoxville, Tennessee at the new Knox Gooners pub. And I'm very much looking forward to that. Have a lovely day. Cheers. Ooh.